What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Rewired Soul podcast. It's your host, Chris. And today I have a very, very awesome, knowledgeable, charismatic guest. And it is Brian Feraldi to talk about his brand new book titled, Why Does the Stock Market Go Up? All right, we've been talking a little bit about, you know, saving and investing in personal finance, and Brian wrote a phenomenal book. But before I introduce this conversation real quick, if you are new here, make sure you are following the podcast, make sure you are subscribed. I read hundreds of nonfiction books every single year. I just love to learn. I'm curious about so many different topics, and I love bringing authors on to chat about their area of expertise. So if you're into that stuff, if you love to learn, if you're curious, if you enjoy conversations about different types of topics, make sure you're following, make sure you're subscribed. All right. And speaking of that, whether you are new to the podcast or you've been following for a while, make sure you are following me over on social media. All right. Instagram, Twitter, uh, YouTube, TikTok, all of it is just at the rewired soul. All right. I love chatting with all of you, having conversations about stuff going on in the news or getting book recommendations. You guys have been recommending so many awesome books. I love it. I have found like so many great books because of all of you, because you follow me. So I love chatting with all of you. And you also don't miss anything, uh, upcoming episodes or different things I'm working on, all that. So make sure you're following me, mainly Instagram and Twitter at The Rewired Soul. I dabble in a little bit of TikTok and I'm catching up on my YouTube channel, but make sure you follow me on Instagram and Twitter. All right. But anyways, anyways, today's guest, as mentioned, is Brian Feraldi, and he wrote a book, Why Does the Stock Market Go Up? So check it out. I've been talking about this a lot. We had Nick Majuli on here. We had uh, Daniel Crosby on here to talk about investing, saving, uh, behavioral finance, all sorts of stuff. Well, Brian's book, it's like the question, right? It's the number one question like why do stocks move why do they go up why do they go down and even though i've read so many books on this topic all right when i started trying to get my financial life in order i read all these books and none of them just like broke this down like just to its simplest form and that my friends is why i love brian's book so damn much all right like he uh he and i talk about this like uh he wrote this book because it's a book he wishes he had when he first got into all this stuff. So he's extremely knowledgeable about all this. We, we talk about it. He gives some great examples. He's really good at like communicating how this stuff works, right? And we get to talk about it. We talk about the stocks. I get to, you know, ask him some questions about what I've seen, what I've noticed as a newer investor. I've only been investing for about a year and I'm still kind of getting a feel for things. So I ask him about, you know, following these big names who give like recommendations on which stocks to buy and how companies are going to perform and all these other things. And I get to pick his brain about all that. He's super, super knowledgeable on all this. And I, I, I've watched a lot of different people who, uh, you know, do YouTube videos about, you know, uh, the stock markets and everything. And Brian is one of the best. So I've been watching uh, his YouTube channel a lot lately. So down in the description below, I will link Brian's uh, social medias, like his Twitter, his YouTube channel, but most importantly, his book, Why Does the Stock Market Go Up? It is a very easy and short read. It just gives you what you need to know. It answers so many questions. So make sure that you check it out. Like if you're like, hey, I know I should invest, but uh, it, it's kind of like intimidating or overwhelming. Brian's book, is a great, 
place to start. All right. So anyways, anyways, without further ado, here's my conversation with Brian Feraldi about his brand new book, Why Does the Stock Market Go Up? All right. Hello, Brian. Thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing today? Chris, doing great. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. Love the new book. But before we dive into it, for those who are unfamiliar with you, can you give us a little bit of your background, what you do and all that good stuff? Yeah, sure. I graduated from college in 2004 and I uh, was a business major, which is translation for I have no idea what I want to do with my life or my career. Um, but I studied healthcare in college, mm. mostly because doing so got me a tuition break. Um, and that uh, helped to land me a job at a startup medical device company right out of college. So I was literally employee number 60 at this small but exciting uh, company. And um, we were pre-revenue at the time. Our product was not even FDA approved or on the market. And just sheer luck on my part, uh, that company has gone on to become phenomenally successful. It's mm. currently publicly traded. It's worth about $18 billion. It's still growing uh, very quickly. Uh, so I got to be literally on the ground floor of this mm. company that went on to just like explode and is going to do, I think, a billion dollars in sales um, oh, wow. uh, this year. So that was a wonderful education uh, for me. Um, but that was my, my, my day job. And uh, I, liked, I liked and learned a lot about it. But in my free time, um, I was, I became very interested in everything related to stocks, uh, mm. money, uh, investing, personal finance, like that's where my passion uh, lies. And I only discovered that after I uh, graduated from uh, college. Uh, so I started to study those things in 2004. I started to mm. invest. I made every mistake that you can possibly make um, investing along the way. But about eight, uh, seven, seven years ago, uh, now I was afforded the opportunity to switch uh, from being at that uh, company to working for a company that's in the investment space called The Motley Fool. Um, mm. So I am now a financial writer for them. I do podcasting uh, for them, video and stuff. And I, essentially what I do now is I uh, research companies and teach people uh, teach people how to invest better. Beautiful. Yeah. And, and that's one of the reasons I, I love your new book, Why Does the Stock Market Go Up? Because uh, you know, something I've, I've let my audience know is like, I didn't get started until even later. Like I started like last year, like I was like, yo, I am like 35. I need to figure this out. I am like, I don't know anything. So I just started reading as many books as I could about stocks and saving. Like I, I had to learn so much and start from scratch. So like what, what got you interested when, you know, when you started looking into this, were you like, Hey, I need money. I need to plan for retirement. What was it that was kind of the catalyst? Yeah, so I wasn't taught anything about um, <laughs> stocks investing um, formally, and I was taught very, very, very little um, at, at home. And, and that just is crazy because, again, I graduated from college with a business degree. Yeah. And yet, even as a business major, I was taught next to nothing about how the stock market works, what a stock is, or anything. Uh, like that. So what chance do you have if you have a degree like engineering or nursing or physical mm -hmm. therapy or 
any of uh, any of those things. But what really uh, kickstarted things was for me was after I graduated, my dad uh, bought me a copy of a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Oh, yeah. And he handed it to me. Uh, and this was in 2004. And for whatever reason, I just devoured it. I think that I was just natural. I, I think that like my passion um, is money and investing. I just didn't know it until I started reading and studying um, studying the subject so intensely. So for whatever reason, that book just immediately resonated with me because it was the first time in my life that I had heard concepts like everybody is in business for themselves. You can become rich in one generation. Uh, the rich think differently than the middle class and the poor. The rich pour their money into buying assets. Uh, the middle class and poor pour their money into buying uh, liabilities they think are assets. The rich use the tax code to uh, their advantage. The rich think like entrepreneurs. Those concepts were brand new uh, to mm -hmm. me, and they just really, really resonated with me. And that just kickstarted a never-ending binge of me consuming as much financial uh, content as I can get my hands on. Yeah. So, you know, like once I started reading about like one thing I think that was holding me back was that it felt like intimidating, scary, and all these things. And then when I started reading it and uh, reading about it and things started making sense, and I wish I had your book when I first started reading about this, but as I started getting into it, um, there were great authors who like made this stuff kind of make sense. Like with your experience and like, you know, writing books like yours for like new people, like, do you see like a lot of people are like intimidated by it or, or what do you see as holding people back from just investing some money? You know, oh, I, I, I think it's an it's a very intimidating uh, thing to, to come across. I mean, I, I know that when I was growing up, I heard I came into contact with the stock market every now and then. But the, what are the terms that people see when they hear about the stock market? The ones that I was learned about was Dow Jones Industrial Average, S&P yeah. 500. NASDAQ. And all I saw was the price of these things going up and up and down. What do those terms even mean? Like yeah. there's nobody that ever sat me down or the news never explained to me. Here's what the Dow Jones Industrial Average is. Here's what the S&P 500 is. So when they're veiled behind these terms and these numbers are just thrown out there that seemingly just move up and down randomly, of course people are going to be wary of it and confused by it and have no idea what they're talking about because those things are never explained uh, to people. But the good news is nothing about the stock market or investing is complicated. Like if you if you can understand fourth grade math, you can mm -hmm. understand how the stock market works. The trouble is it's never explained to us in a simple way. Yeah, yeah, no. And and that like I've read so much and then I read your book and learned even more about this stuff. So like just before we dive into a few other topics in its simplest form, what is a stock? Mm hmm. Yeah, so that is a fantastic question. Uh, <laughs> a stock is simply a record-keeping tool for figuring out who owns how much of a corporation. So let's say, Chris, that you and I start a business uh, together, a very simple business. We're selling lemonade, uh, uh, of course. Uh, we deduce that this business is going to cost $10,000 to get up off the ground, right? We're going to need to Hire, build a storefront. We're going to need to hire staff, buy lemons, ice, cups, uh, et cetera, et cetera. We just, we deduce that we need $10,000 to get this up off the ground. All right. Well, we want to contribute money to get this money, this project going, this business going. You have $9,000 to invest. I only have $1,000 to invest, but in total, that's $10,000. 
how are we going to figure out who owns how much of this company? Well, one very easy way that we can do that, that we solve this problem is by taking a company, calling it, incorporating it, and then splitting it into a certain number of shares. So let's do that and make things very easy. Let's price our shares, the stock of this company, at $1. Okay, yeah. so we made 10,000 of them. You invest your $9,000. In turn, you get 9,000 shares. I invest $1,000. In turn, I get 1,000 shares. In total, this company has 10,000 shares. So when it comes time later on to divvy up the profits, let's say in our first year of business, we make $5,000. All right, so our business made $5,000 and we want to pay that to ourselves as, as a profit. Well, how much is that on a per share basis? Well, there's $5,000 that we made and there's 10,000 shares in total. Quick division tells us that each share has a claim on 50 cents in earnings per share. Well, you own 9,000 of those shares. So 50 cents times your 9,000 means that we give you a check for $4,500. I own 1,000 shares times 50 cents means I get a check for $500. Now, that is a very, very simple way to yeah. break down a business. There's just two owners. You can imagine what happens when there's multiple owners, hundreds of owners, mm -hmm. thousands of owners, and they're all investing, not all up front, but they're investing at different stages of the business. The math can get very complicated very quickly. But by using uh, shares and dividing a company up into fractional ownership and using shares, it makes it very easy to figure out who owns how much of a company. Yeah. So, you know, uh, one of the things that I, I, I learned from your book as well was like when a, when a company goes public, right? I'm like, oh, that makes sense. And it's crazy because there's a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of like recent like TV series and I'm hooked on them. Like the one about, uh, you know, uh, WeWork and then uh, Theranos and all that stuff. And I'm like, oh, I'm starting to understand this. But anyway, so I just finished We Crash. Maybe some people in the audience watch it too. So explain this because before you'd see all this stuff or maybe people watch like Succession and all these other things and there's just these terms, right? So with like We Crashed, right? uh the main dude adam he was like here i'm just gonna give you like shares like his employees he would like give them to them right and then when they're talking about going public these people are like oh my god we're gonna be rich right so how does how does that work right like how how does it work if me and you had the lemonade stand or our company and we hire some people and we're like hey we're gonna give you this and then later we're gonna go public like is that what it is is it a promise that you're gonna make money if you hold on to this and all that kind of stuff how does that work yeah, it, it, it can be a bit confusing. And when you get into stock-based compensation, uh, it gets it get more, more complex. But let's just keep going with our simple uh, example. So we start this business, you own 90%, I own 10% uh, of it, and we have 10,000 shares in total. Well, let's say we want to get some employees on, on board to run this business with them. And we want to motivate these employees to actually care about the long-term health mm. of the business, right? You can pay employees a salary, but that doesn't make them owners. And whether the business succeeds or fails, it doesn't really benefit them or hurt them uh, other than to say, will they get their salary or not? Mm -hmm. So companies have been making their employees into owners of the business, co-owners of the business, in order to get them to care and be motivated by the long-term trajectory of the company. So let's say that we do that. We hire an employee and we say to this employee, okay, 
Welcome aboard. Uh, we're going to give you, let's do a ridiculous number, 1,000 shares of, of our company. Okay, we're going to give this 1,000 shares to you as a way to compensate you for being an employee of this company. All right, well, before we did that, we had 10,000 shares in total. Mm. Now we have 11,000 shares in total. This is something that companies can do. Companies can can divide their uh, their company and create new shares of stock and give those shares away in this case to the employee or sell their that those shares um to to other investors in order to bring them on board now what's the downside of doing that well before there was 10,000 shares in total you owned 90% i owned 10% yeah. now there's 11,000 shares in total i still own 1,000 but instead of it being out of 10,000, it's now out of 11,000 in total. So I used to own 10% of the company. Now I own 9% of the company. Yeah. You used to own 90% of the company. Now you own 88%, uh, 89% of the company. So by creating new shares of stock and giving them out to our employees, we are what's called diluting ourselves mm. so we now longer no longer own as much of the company as we did before now that's okay because now we have this employee that is motivated to see the company grow and uh and wants to see it to succeed the exact same thing can happen if we wanted to take on another investor let's say we wanted to raise outside capital and an investor wants to come in and we want to raise let's just say uh four thousand dollars from this investor so we would sell him stock at uh, him or her stock at $1 per share. We would make 4,000 new shares of stock. We would give it to them. They would in turn give us $4,000. Great, the company now has 4,000 extra dollars. But instead of there being 11,000 shares outstanding, there's now 15,000 yeah. shares outstanding. And my ownership now is, is like 6% of the business. At the start, it was 10%. Now it's down to 6%, even though I didn't sell anything. Yeah. This, is the, this is what's called dilution. And th th that's okay, because in our company's case, we wanted that new investor. We wanted that $4,000. We wanted that employee to be uh, motivated. But this is why handing out stock to investors or new employees isn't free, right? It doesn't mm. cost us money to do so, but the, the cost to us as the previous owners is that we are diluted. We now own less of the business. But that's okay, and lots of companies do that today simply because they believe that the benefits of making employees into shareholders and bringing on new investors outweighs the cost of diluting the investors. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, so with this and like bringing in, you know, or going public and creating all these shares and everybody can start investing, and getting involved, I'm going to, you know, give my rudimentary knowledge on this. But I think like right now is a good time to talk about it with all the stuff going on with Elon Musk. And hopefully this episode comes out soon. So it's kind of still you know, out there. I think it will be. But anyways, so right now, Twitter, for example, is public. And to my understanding, when a company is public, it then has a responsibility to shareholders. So if I own shares in Twitter, they got to do what's right for me. And this kind of I've been trying to like kind of explain this to people as it's going on, like, hey, you don't know, they might have to sell it to Elon, but it sounds like a little bit more complicated. Anyways, anyways, the question I'm asking you is. Elon is talking about taking the company private. And I'm sitting here like, I had no idea you could like go back and do that. <laughs> so can you explain like, uh, you know, if I owned Twitter stock, what would that mean for me? Elon's deal 
finalizes, goes through, goes through. He takes it private. Like, do I lose all my money? Do I gain money? Do I no longer like what? What happens to my shares of Twitter if he goes private? Yeah. So this 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 also confused me. For example, when I started at that company uh, that I mentioned out of college, they gave me stock in the company. So I I got some stock based compensation. I was like, how can you do that? Like, you're not even public. Like, how do you even have mm-hmm. stock? So, yeah, that that blew my mind. So private companies have stock just like public companies have stock. So that that is that is something to say, say out there. All corporations are owned by their shareholders and all of them have stock. The ones that are private you just can't access, you can't buy unless you know people that work the management team uh, of the company or whatever. But let's go back to uh, to Twitter's case. So I think it was nine years ago at this point, maybe eight years ago at this point, Twitter was a private company. It was growing private and they wanted capital. So they came public. So Twitter at the time created brand new shares of stock, just like we talked about before, sold that shares to the public market, and its stock became listed on a public exchange. In this case, I'm pretty sure it was the New York Stock Exchange. That's when Twitter went from not being a private company to being a public company that anybody could buy could buy shares uh, in. And if you look at what happened to Twitter's stock over the last nine years, Twitter, Twitter the business hasn't grown as fast as Wall Street would have liked, and its stock price has been all over the map, but it, it hasn't been provided investors with a good return at all. But what happened a few weeks ago is Elon uh, looked at Twitter, and he's not happy with how it's doing and performing, and he said, I want to buy it. Elon, the person, decided to buy it. Not Tesla, not SpaceX, not any of that. Elon is so rich that he decided to buy Twitter himself. So he offered to buy Twitter for, I think, $54.20 yeah, yeah. per share, roughly around there, which valued Twitter at about $44 billion um, in, in, in total. So Elon offered to buy the entire, all of Twitter, the whole company, for $44 billion. Uh, when that happens, a vote goes up at, at the company to see, do they want to accept that offer uh, or do they want to reject uh, that offer? And that is usually controlled by that's controlled by the board of directors. The board of directors is appointed by the shareholders who act in best interest of the shareholders and, and all that kind of stuff. And as you can tell, there's been a lot of drama going on. Yeah, Do we accept this offer? <laughs> Do we reject this offer? And there's been poison pills and things to like block it. Anyway, as of the time of this recording, it looks like the offer was officially accepted and it's going to be going through. The day that the offer goes through, uh, on the day of the closing, just like the same thing with like closing a house, right? When you make the offer and it's accepted to actually when you do the transaction, there's often like a 30-day delay. With stocks, there's often like a six-month delay between Mm -hmm. that process. So once the offer goes through, assuming it does, if you own Twitter stock, your broker will take your Twitter stock out of your account and will sell it. And we'll give it to Elon. And in exchange, Elon will deposit $54.20 into your brokerage account in cash for each share that you that you hold. So that's going to happen to every single Twitter shareholder um, across the board. On the day that the transaction goes through, Elon will own 100% of all of the stock. He will personally take it all. Mm. And all shareholders will get $54.20. So real quick. Off the top of my head, what happens if between now and when it gets finalized, what if the Twitter stock goes to $60 per share? Does it like, does he have to pay more? Do the people who own it? Because right now it's like, I think it dropped back down below 50. I'm not looking at it right now. But anyways, does that make sense? Like what happens if it goes above what he's offering? 
Yep. So the the as I as I look at this, Twitter's price per share is currently forty nine dollars and sixty nine cents. That's four dollars. That's four dollars below Elon's takeout uh, price. That's the market's way of telling you we think that there's risk that this deal won't go through, either because Elon can't afford to make the transaction or because something's going to come up and the government is going to block it. That is what that is the market's way of saying we don't think this deal is going to go through at this price. Now, if it does, you could arbitrage. You could literally buy Twitter stock today for $49.70, hold it till the transaction date, and then get $4 or uh, what's that, an 8% return on your money for taking on that risk that the deal won't go go through. Now, if Twitter traded above $54.20 per share, um, people could, uh, th that would be, if, if you bought it and then got it for 54, you would lose money. Oh, like you'd be like okay. guaranteed uh, to lose money. Now, believe it or not, that happens sometimes. That happens when a company agrees to get bought out and then its stock price goes above that. Why would that happen? That's the market's way of saying, we think this undervalues the company stock, and we think another bidder is going to come in and be willing to pay uh, to pay more uh, for for the stock. But that's the reason why Twitter is currently trading below its price. As we Got get it. closer to that date, and as that um, that uncertainty disappears, you'll start to see the price slowly creep up to that that price. However, if this deal goes through, it does not go through for for whatever reason. You can be bet that Twitter stock is going to drop 10, 20, 30 percent on the day that the news breaks that the deal is not going through. So that's the risk that you're assuming uh, if you're trying to make that arbitrage. Got it. Cool. So so, yeah, I wanted to take some time to dive into some topics around the title of your book. Right. Why does the stock market go up? So when I when I first started investing, right. I had, you know, a chunk of money saved up. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get some shares, some companies. I, I read books. I talked to people, right? You know, and I, I got some shares and I was pretty happy about it. I'm like, this seems like a lot of shares. But here's my question. As I learned about like the grand scheme of things and you realize these places own like thousands and thousands and thousands of shares. Like I started investing a little bit in Kathy Wood and I see how much she owns of some of these companies and stuff. So anyways, here's my question. Why does the stock market go up? Why does the stock market go down in your book? Like you kind of talk about it's what people think it's going to happen or where it's valued. Like, or like me and you and just the average person, do we actually have any effect on the stock market or is it these companies that own an insane amount of shares that I can't even fathom. Yeah. So on the day to day moving moving uh, price, let's 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 go to a a, a well known uh, stock. Let's let's talk about Apple uh, for a second uh, there. So on the, on a typical day, on an average day um, over the last month, Apple has traded. There have been eighty eight million shares of Apple that have traded hand. That's per day. Okay. That's now eighty eight million shares. Uh, times the current share price of 161, 162, let's call it $162 uh, per share, uh, means that that's, uh, is that right? 14.2 billion dollars. Yeah, 14.2 billion dollars of volume uh, in Apple stock takes place every day. I think I did that math right. 162 times 88 million. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, so $14 billion worth of Apple stocks trades hands every, every single day. Okay. Uh, when you're buying Apple stock, how much are you buying? Thousand bucks, 
let's say a big spender, $10,000, that is literally point rounding error compared to Apple's uh, price. However, when you're putting in a buy order for Apple stock, right now it's trading at $161.76. If I put in a buy order for $10,000 of of Apple's uh, stock, that would create slight more pressure to move Apple's stock up. However, when compared to the overwhelming dollar amount of of Apple stock, it would be an irrelevant rounding rounding error compared to the total value of, of Apple. So in no way could I move uh, Apple stock. However, there yeah. are some stocks that are publicly traded that are way smaller than, than Apple. Like those, yeah. the whole the whole company can be worth like fifty million dollars, and on a typical day, maybe those stocks trade fifty thousand dollars, a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. There are stocks that are that illiquid, uh, as they're called. If you put in a buy order for that company for $10,000 in the day, you will absolutely move the market price on that simply because um, your your buying power on a percentage basis when compared to the total demand for that stock or the total trading volume of that stock is is so much uh, greater. So it always depends on the size of the business and how big you are. But but to your point, yeah, I think like, I don't know the exact number, but Vanguard, uh, for example, is usually like the number one uh, shareholder. So yeah, Vanguard owns 7% of Apple, 7%. So Vanguard's position in Apple is currently worth $224 billion, okay? That's 7% of of, of Apple. So if they were to unload that stake, that would move uh, the market. But you and I, we can't move the market. Yeah, so so I guess, you know, that that's that's what I I get curious about. So uh, I... Let's use Tesla as an example. I own some Tesla shares. You probably own a lot more than me. I saw you on Twitter. You're like, hey, like Tesla's like my main holding, right? But like, then there's like Kathy Wood, right? And, uh, you know, uh, ARC, they own an insane amount of Tesla shares. So like, should I, should me and you be watching Tesla and Tesla news? Or should we be keeping an eye on someone like Kathy who owns way more because it sounds like, what moves current ARK Invest make is going to in, uh, influence that price. So do I watch her or do I watch Tesla and Tesla's news? You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, again, even even Kathy is managing, I don't even know how much money, I'm assume I'm assume a few billion dollars. Um, and of that, she is devoted, it, it, Tesla is a sizable position in many of, of her funds. But even Tesla is still so huge that what Kathy Wood does doesn't mm. really matter. Um, I, 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 I'm looking at the top holders of uh, the top institutional holders of Tesla and um, and Ark isn't even listed uh, on really? there. In fact, T Rowe Price T Rowe Price uh, is uh, is on there. They own 0.8 percent of Tesla. That's 8.2 million shares, and that's currently worth 8.6 billion dollars. So t- so this is a case where Kathy Wood. And um, her ownership is still insignificant when compared to the total amount of 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 Tesla. But more more importantly, what any individual investor uh, owns in in a stock usually, if, if they're an outsider, usually doesn't really impact the the company. But I would say that Kathy Wood, because she's become so popular, yeah. has more influence over the thoughts of Tesla and the thoughts of many other investors that follow her. That I would say she actually has more of an influence over the current price of Tesla than T. Rowe Price does, even though T. Rowe Price owns uh, way more stock than yeah. she does. Because if she goes on CNBC and says Tesla is, you know, our price target is 
$5,000 or whatever it is, a whole bunch of investors are going to see that and and act on um, on her behalf. But the bigger lesson there is don't take your cues or pay so much attention to what other investors are, are doing. Always make decisions based on um, what you believe uh, is going to happen and, and follow that. Because when other investors are doing things, you don't know their motivation. You don't know what their intended holding period is. They could have completely different holding period uh, mm. th than you do. And if that's the case, um, they might be buying something or selling something for reasons that have totally nothing to do with the company um, it, it itself. So I yeah. personally do not pay that much attention to what other big investors are doing. I'm always looking at uh, the companies themselves and making decisions based on that. Gotcha. So you you semi answer the next question I have because here's here's my dilemma, right? So again, I started investing early last year, maybe around January, February. So anyways, I hop in, I don't know anything. I'm like, okay, I'll get some shares here, there, you know, whatever, right? But I turned to, you know, people like you, a bunch of YouTubers, some other places, right? And I keep hearing like Kathy Wood, Kathy Wood, Kathy Wood popping up, right? So I'm like, okay, cool. But anyways, I, based on my first, I don't know, six months, I have become very skeptical of uh, a lot of people talking about the stock market and stocks and things like that, right? Because... Basically, like I, you know, I got some arc and it has done terrible, right? Mm -hmm. And you talk a little bit about like PE ratios. I learned about like, you know, fundamental analysis and technical analysis and people like, oh, look at these lines and you could tell. And I'm like, it didn't do anything that you said it would do, right? I'm noticing that people aren't great at predictions. But anyways, uh, one of Kathy's other largest holdings, and I'm just using her as an example, I'm sure there's, you know, a million others. One of her other largest uh, holdings is Teladoc. And mm -hmm. we'll talk more about Teladoc in a second. But I have just watched Teladoc tank since I invested in ARK. And I'm just like, Kathy, do you know what the hell you're doing? Right? Because, <laughs> because what happened, what I realized after I learned some more was in October, November of 2020, Tesla flew through the roof. And it sounds like that's when uh, Kathy got a lot of popularity because of that looked really good because she was so invested in Tesla. And then I wonder if that hype carried over and blah, 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 blah. But anyways, how do we trust? Who do we, who do we turn to if you're brand new and we don't have the experience like yourself to kind of do your own thing and do your own research? You know what I mean? Yes, very much. So, so one of the trickiest things about investing and investing in individual stocks is that there is actually a very long delay between taking an action in the market, buying something or selling something, and knowing whether or not that action was good or, or yeah. not, right? If you put your hand on the stove, you know instantaneously <laughs> if that stove is on or off, right? And yeah. you're going to get immediate feedback whether you did a good thing or a bad thing. The stock market does not work like that. In the stock market, there is a multi-year delay between you realizing, did I make a good decision or did I make a bad uh, decision? If you look at what Kathy Wood has done, if you want to judge Kathy Wood's performance, you have to judge her performance over multiple years, multiple years. And you can't look at any one position that she has, you have to look at her entire uh, portfolio. I have Kathy Wood's long-term performance of ARK in front of me, the ARKK, the most, the most, the most popular fund that she has. ARK was launched in 2014, and if you bought on Inception Day, which was what eight years ago at this point, you're up 143 percent. That is ahead 
of the 114% gain that you would have had if you just invested in the S&P 500. So mm. Kathy Wood is outperforming the S&P 500 by 30, 30 by 30%. Uh, by You'd be 30% richer by investing ARK at the inception than you would be investing in the S&P 500. However, over the last year, Kathy Wood's ARK is currently down 60 Eight percent, and that's why I it's fifty-two and high, right? Fifty-eight percent, right? Um, if you're going to invest the way that Kathy Wood invests, which is in dynamic, high-growth opportunities with huge opportunity ahead, you have to know a few things up front. One, she's going to be wrong a lot. She's going to be wrong a lot. She's trying to predict the future with these high-growth companies, and a lot of these companies are just going to flame out, and they're not going to come close to fulfilling their their mm. promise. That's there's nothing wrong with that. That is how capitalism works. But you have to know that uh, go, going in. And two, these things are going to go in popularity and out of popularity. You have to think of the stock market like the same way you think of a fashion show. Sometimes certain styles of investing are in, and other times that same style of investing is out. In 2020, Kathy Wood's style of investing was in. Her portfolio went up like a hundred and something percent during yeah. 2020. That's when her notoriety skyrocketed. That's when tons of people started following her. That's when tons of people started putting capital uh, into her. More recently, over the last year, her style has gone out of favor. By the way, mine has too. Over the yeah. last year, my portfolio is down substantially uh, from its high because my style of investing, which is largely high growth um, uh, companies, similar, similar to Kathy Wood, but not, not the same, that is going completely out of favor. And uh, our portfolios are, are, are down big. The unfortunate thing is many people like yourself got interested in investing at like essentially the peak price. They, they bought saying, oh, her portfolio just went up 100%. She's going to keep this going forever, not realizing that they were signing up for huge amounts of volatility uh, yeah. uh, along, along the way. So if you're going to judge Kathy Wood's performance, I think you should do so over rolling five-year periods. And on that metric, she's outperforming. Um, but if you're going to be buying Kathy Wood uh, portfolio today or any investment today in the, in the stock market, you have to judge it over multiple year mm. periods, which is easy to say, really, really hard to do, yeah. right? Like like yesterday, Teladoc stock dropped like 40% in, in one day. And you might be thinking, this thing's terrible. It's like the worst company in the history of mankind. Um, and whether or not Teladoc works out is 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 up for debate. There are some things going wrong. Um, at Teladoc. But that is the that is the price that investors have to pay if they want to invest in high growth companies. They have to be willing, they have to be willing to stomach occasional periods of enormous uh, drawdowns. And if you're not willing, that's perfectly fine. Perfectly yeah. fine. I, I think that the trouble is they see Kathy Wood's performance in 2020 and say, this is going to continue I want that in my portfolio, not realizing that there's that the only way to get that performance is to deal with the performance that we've had over the last year. Yeah, no, no, that makes total sense. And that's something I, a lesson I learned a little bit later is to look at the, the long term. And, and I realized like, A, like investing in the S&P, like it, it helps my anxiety a little bit more, you know, as I continue yep. to learn and everything like that. But uh, with just a couple more questions, like since we're talking about Teladoc yesterday, like you said, boom plummeted and i was like i clicked in there i'm like okay what's the news or whatever and it's something called like the u.s research roundup and there was a bunch of companies and i noticed they're like it went from this to this and like stock prices went down or like they was it an evaluation it looked like that's what triggered it i'm not 
Sure. But what, what caused Teladoc specifically to go down so much yesterday? Because I, maybe I missed it. I didn't see any other yep. news that might've done that. So I actually have a YouTube channel where we dug into all of the details about Teladoc's ah. uh, quarter, where we teach people exactly the question that uh, you're answering because the, the drawdown was so uh, severe. Uh, this is going to get in a little bit into the accounting uh, wonky math. If, if so, <laughs> so just be aware of that uh, coming up. So two years ago, uh, Teladoc bought a company called Livongo Health. Uh, they almost they merged uh, with them. It was an $18.5 billion deal. So Teladoc bought this company using its own stock for $18.5 billion. Yesterday, the company that this, this merger already happened, uh, Teladoc said, our accountants believe that Teladoc, uh, that Livongo, the company they purchased, is no longer worth $18 billion. Mm. We, we only think it's worth $12 billion. So they say that we, we essentially overvalued the deal by $6 billion. And they had to take a loss, an accounting loss of $6.6 billion in the quarter simply because they said, we paid $18 uh, billion for this. It's no longer worth that. So they had to take a non-cash charge so of $6.6 billion. Now, $6.6 billion didn't leave their bank account. It was an accounting charge that happened. Is that a lot? Is that is that bad? Yes, uh, that's bad. Mm -hmm. uh, for perspective, Teladoc stock is down so much that the the market is currently valuing Teladoc, uh, the business, the entire business at $5.5 billion. So they Whoa. took a bigger charge than their current value of their entire uh, company. Um, so that is one reason of a few that Teladoc stock, when they admitted that, that their stock dropped so much. Got it. Yeah. And I'll need to check that out. But yeah, it's it's weird. Like I'm looking at it, and you know, one of the last questions I want to ask you because, uh, you know, with you know different stocks going up and down and everything like that, like I think you know for the average person, and I tell me if I am one thousand percent wrong, for the average person just watching the news and everything like that, two examples come to mind: Joe Rogan and Elon Musk, right? So a few months ago, Joe Rogan, bunch of controversy around you know episodes he's done, uh, and every all these news articles said like. Joe Rogan controversy causes Spotify stock to plummet, right? And then uh, with the Elon Musk stuff going on, it's like a uh, Twitter thing makes Tesla stock plummet, right? So me, I zoom out and I'm like, wait, how is the market performing today? And for me, on both occasions, it looked like everything was down. Like I looked around, it's not like, you know, everything was up and then Spotify was down or Tesla was down. I looked and I'm like, everything's down. But for the average person looking, it looks like, Elon or Joe Rogan or whoever it is triggered this event. But if you don't, I don't know, like for me, I'm like, well, if you're not looking at the whole market, you think that one person caused it when I don't know if that's necessarily true. So am I completely wrong? Or do you think they triggered some of these down days for those companies? I'm sure it's a combination of both. And uh, personally, I love the stock market. I am really into yeah. this. Uh, here's a, here's, a, here's um, something that might surprise you. I don't look at stock prices every day. Mm. I don't look at the market does uh, every day. In fact, there's often many weeks when I don't look at it. And when people find that out in my real life, they're like, Brian, what did the market do today? And my answer is, I don't know, which <laughs> confuses people. They're like, wait, 
aren't you into the stock yeah, market investing? And I say, actually, yes, I'm really into it. And But what the market does on any day, any week, any month, or even year has no impact on what I, what I do or how I invest. Over the short term, the best quote ever about the stock market is this. Over the short term, the stock market is a voting machine. It's tallying up investors' psychology and investor emotions. That's what controls the stock market in the short term. Over the long term, the stock market is a weighing machine. It's revenue, it's profits, it's mm. growth that drives stock prices. Those two concepts can, are, are perfectly aligned in the long term. A business is perfectly aligned with its long-term revenue growth and profit growth in the long term. In the short term, all that goes out the window. <laughs> Things like tweets from the president or tweets by Joe Rogan or the news of the day drastically impacts short-term stock prices. This is why stocks go up and down like crazy every day. That's measuring the collective emotions of mm. all market participants. That's unknowable, and that is almost irrelevant information to the investments that we're making. This is why I don't look at stock prices uh, on any given day. Now, if you see like something like uh, yesterday with Teladoc, where Teladoc dropped 40%, that's something big happened that yeah. caused that. And that can actually tell you about, uh, be indicative of clearly something is going wrong with this business. And those are the kind of details that I uh, pay attention to. But if a stock or the stock market is going up by one, three, 2% on a given day, to me, that's just random, unpredictable noise. That's why I don't even look at it. Got it. Makes sense. And I'm going to, I'm going to add that to my, my strategies and kind of zone out and everything. But yeah, I've developed more, you know, long-term and everything like that. But anyway, Brian, your book is honestly one of my favorites. Like I, again, I wish I had it when I first started. I hope everybody interested in starting to invest checks it out. So for everybody listening, where can they find the book and where can they find you? Because you are tweeting and you have a YouTube channel, you stream all sorts of content. So where's the book and where are you at? Yeah, so you're, you're, the, the, the book uh, is what I wish I could, just like you, I wish I had my book 20 years ago. That is exactly who I wrote it for. I, when I first started investing, I had no clue about anything that I just said. So I created like the simplest guide that I could for getting a new investor up to speed with what mm -hmm. they need to know about how the market is, what the stock market is, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, like you, I wish I could have read it uh, 20 years ago. Um, but the book is available on all major outlets. I mean, Amazon is the number one bookseller in the world, so it's available on Amazon. It's called Why Does the Stock Market uh, Go Up? If you're interested in the details of investing or markets in general, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Brian Feraldi. If you want to get really nerdy and dig into the details of like companies like uh, Teladoc and stuff like that, I talk about that on my YouTube channel, uh, which is Brian Feraldi. Beautiful, Brian. Well, I will link all that in the description. Thank you so much. You're a busy man. And yeah, when you write the next book, we'll have to do this again sometime. Sounds great, Chris. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Brian. And and yeah, uh, just just so you know too, like I was asking him about you know Elon Musk and Twitter and you know these different stocks and everything. And uh, we recorded this a couple of weeks ago, so the the news has changed like slightly. Like Elon Musk might be backing out of the deal, but anyways, just wanted to let you know because it, it's super interesting uh, learning about that. And you know, I'm glad we were able to talk about this kind of idea that one person 
person is affecting a stock price and all these other things and how we have to look at the bigger picture. A lot of, you know, journalists and, you know, just almost like with anything, right? Like uh, they, they, they talk about a topic that they're not an expert in, but they'll like write a story about this kind of like cause and effect when those things actually aren't related when you step back and look at the entire stock market as a whole. So I'm glad I was able to uh, pick Brian's brain about that. And yeah, I hope you gained some uh, just wisdom from Brian in this conversation. And I hope it just makes investing a little less intimidating because it sounds like as somebody, if you're somebody like me, who was like very financially illiterate, like buying a stock just sounds like, like what? Like I might as well go like, go down to the, the horse track and like bet on a horse or something, or me in Las Vegas, go just put a bunch of money like on the, on the roulette table or something. But when you like kind of understand, you get a little bit more confident and all that kind of stuff. So, so definitely go check out Brian's book again, down in the description, I've linked his Twitter, his YouTube channel. I love it. Love it. Love it. Like if you want to keep up to date with like news and different things, like sometimes they, they dive into like, you know, quarterly earnings that goes a little bit over my head. But uh, for the most part, there are conversations about the stock market as a whole. They do a really good job, like breaking it down for people like me who are a little bit newer. So definitely check out the YouTube channel. But more importantly, make sure you grab a copy of his brand new book. All right. But anyways, before I let you go, a few quick things. Uh, one, make sure you are following your subscribe to the podcast if you're not yet. Two, make sure you're following me over on social media at The Rewired Soul over on Instagram and Twitter. I also do some like little book reviews over on TikTok if you want to check that out. And a couple easy free ways that you can help support the podcast. This way you can save money investing in some stocks or something, but you're also helping me out. One, share this episode. All right. If you think that your friends, family members, your followers might benefit from this conversation, learn a little bit more about the stock markets, share this episode. All right. Next, take just a minute, maybe even less than a minute out of your day, head over to Apple Podcasts, leave a rating, leave a review. Both of these things help out a ton. It spreads the word and the algorithms love that stuff, all right? But some other things, uh, if you want to help support the podcast, one of them, uh, you can get all of these episodes a day early by subscribing over to my Substack. It's linked down below. It's $5 a month or $50 for the year. And you get all of these episodes like this one a day early. All right. And then they go public the next day. And I also write over on Substack too and all that. The written content, absolutely free. So you can just subscribe if you want to. All right. Next, uh, you can grab one of my books uh, over at therewiredsoul.com. I've written some books on mental health, addiction recovery, being canceled, all sorts of fun stuff. And lastly, uh, if you are somebody like me who is always looking to improve your mental health, realize that a little extra help in that area is great. Uh, down in the description, there's an affiliate link for BetterHelp Online Therapy. Uh, that's a service that I've personally used. It's affordable, it's online, so it's super convenient. And you work with a licensed therapist from your state, all right? So if you're interested in that, check out that affiliate link for BetterHelp Online Therapy, all right? So another huge, huge thanks to Brian for coming on. He's a busy guy. He's constantly hustling, writing, doing his, his YouTube channel and everything. So super glad that he was able to come on. Make sure you follow him and grab a copy of his book, Why Does the Stock Market Go Up? And yeah, for all of you, I have one more episode coming for you this week. All right, but until then, have an amazing rest of your day and I will see you next time.